We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Just in case you're new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks over on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, coming at you with the second episode of the day. Uh, got a little time to get back in town, watch the spring game, and kind of ponder my thoughts. And then I was like, why don't I hit record and ponder my thoughts with one of my good buddies, <laughs> which is why I'm joined by my guy, Spencer McLaughlin. He's the host of Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12. He's a man of many talents. How we doing, man? We are doing well. One of those talents is spending too much time at the golf course. It was an 8.40 tea time. It was not around to my liking, but rocking the uh, Ducks polo, which, by the way, these are the same same shirts a friend bought for me many years back when uh, Oregon won the national championship. Uh, Eugene Country Club, Solman Raza hitting the uh, match-winning four-footer downhill slightly left to right. I remember watching that on uh, on TV. But one of those days where you uh, – I was in the short game area for about 90 minutes after the round today. But other than that, we are good because we are in grind mode, Max. That's what I'm all about right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I got back in town yesterday and I was like, let's get it right into it. Um, so we got plenty to talk about today. Uh, we're coming at you live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. If you guys are here in the live chat, let us know. Drop a comment in the chat letting us know how you feel about Oregon's spring game. Or if you're watching on a replay, you guys can leave me a comment or a question. I'll do my best to get to it. So kind of the plan for today's episode is getting to some big picture takeaways and some broad thoughts on the the Oregon spring game. And then I think Spencer and I are going to highlight a couple of uh, standout performances that, that kind of caught our eye. And then maybe we'll get around to some comments or questions. I know Spencer's got about 30. I might, I might stay around a little bit longer if I'm feeling nice. We'll see. Um, but yeah, man, just kind of getting, getting into this, starting to peel back the layers, not exactly a, a shootout, which uh, I don't know if I would say I was expecting, but I thought it was going to be a lot more explosive and a little bit more high scoring um, compared to what we saw, just seeing how well the the offense ran last year, how explosive it was last year. But um, I think that was in part due to the teams being split up, obviously. And then just really, I think a much cleaner game by both defenses, you know, guys being in the right place at the right time, not a ton of flags from what I was able to see and just a, a pretty crisp looking game uh, kind of by that defense. So, where I was kind of just throwing that out there and then we can see where it takes us. Yeah, I, I thought it was refreshing because 
you add all these players in the offseason, you bring in talented dudes, you've got a new secondaries coach uh, as well, you got a new offensive line coach, but you know there there have been changes that you know you and I have talked about for the last several months and most notably the players that they've brought in. I felt like they really made an immediate impact. And we and you know something else we've talked about extensively and we'll continue to do so cuz it's important is the defense has got to grow. The defense has got to take a step forward. And, you know, I don't think it was an indictment of Will Stein, who wasn't even, you know, calling the the plays necessarily. Obviously, there were, you know, uh, signs of of, of his scheme and his wrinkles and his approach to uh, offense, uh, you know, from from a coaching standpoint. Those sorts of things were very present. But you you touched on how we know and we're expecting a little bit more of a shootout because we know that these offensive players can produce – we know that Bo Nix is good. We know the running backs are awesome. We know Troy Franklin's a beast. Troy Franklin is a major, major beast. But he was he was my uh, my biggest offensive standout individually uh, amongst everybody because he somehow looks even even better than he did from a year ago. But you know you have great running backs, good receivers. You have a quarterback. You have all the stuff that that you really need. Some good offensive linemen as well. I think the fact that it was more of a slugfest and a struggle for the offenses in the early going on both sides than we were expecting is a testament to what we've heard from Dan Lanning and also what we speculated about, which is I think we can expect the defense to take a step forward because they were more physical at the point of attack. They looked faster. The communication was better. You know, there was only really one lapse, and that was when Ty Thompson had to make a throw with a guy in his face, by the way. That's not a throw that a lot of quarterbacks can make. There were throws that Ty Thompson – didn't make that other quarterbacks make routinely, but that long ball to Chris Hudson, who somehow again didn't find the end zone. Uh, I swear that guy is cursed. Just, I, I, but Brian Addison is also really, really fast chasing him down. But that was a 50 yard flick with a guy right in front of him. That was kind of the only breakdown defensively that we saw. And I like what you said about it being a clean game. I think there were just a handful of penalties on, on either side. You know, and that's something that I really, really liked seeing because last year there were too many open receivers. There wasn't enough pressure and there was sloppiness at times. And I thought all those things were improved. Now it's better when you have a different opponent, but I I, I still think that it was really, really encouraging from the defensive side to see them play the way they did and in the manner in which they did. I mean, there, there were some hits out there. There were some plays. There were good coverage moments. There was defensive line pressure. There was run stuffing. Linebackers were flying around. A lot of a lot of really good things from defense. Yeah, and, and I think like one of the points that is good to kind of hit on here that you mentioned is just how there was an ex- a level of expectation for Oregon's defense to step up because what was one of the biggest things that we were talking about at the end of the last year? I feel like people were kind of thinking, you know, the season was over. Oregon got 10 wins, like that's great and everything, but a lot of fans kind of found themselves asking, that was the Dan Lanning defense? That was Dan Lanning and Tosh Lapoy combined? Not to say it was horrible, but like it fell well short of the mark, especially given how much talent they had on that side of the ball. So yeah, the, the, I, the numbers were actually better. I was looking them up the other day. They finished closer to the middle of the conference in some stats more than I remember points per game and passing yards allowed. But what what stands out so much is what you touched on, the moments where they didn't show up, where they weren't there. That was why I think people had that impression, I think fairly so, of like, well, 
And we brought in a defensive coordinator from Georgia as a head coach. We got to expect the defense to be better than it was. And I think it, you know, certainly can be going forward. But I, I just think that it was such a nice thing to see that you started to have more team speed. You had more physicality. You had better communication, better execution, better tackling. As well. How many missed tackles were in that game, Max? Like, Not a whole lot. Five? five? One of them was on Tez Johnson, who looks like a, a ridiculous athlete. So I, I, I just, I like I said, I really, really liked what I saw from that from that defense, and hopefully it carries over to next season. Yeah, yeah. So to to kind of just finish up on the on the point that I was uh, working on, it was just like you know the the defense has taken a, a pretty gradual step forward. At least it looks like it right now. You know, you and I aren't gonna aren't gonna sit here and say, oh, there's Oregon Pac-12 champions, national champions, just after a spring game. We're not going to say that, but I think that it started to look a little bit more like the product that we were expecting when you bring in guys like Dan Lanning and and Tosh Lapoy and and some other big names on the staff. So I think that was really encouraging. Guys were just in the right place at the right time for a lot of times. And, you know, when guys had opportunities to make plays, like on the defensive side of the ball, I'm thinking about Dante Manning's pass breakup on Justice Lowe in the back corner of the end zone. That was big. I'm thinking about Jamal Hill tackling Bucky Irving by himself, which most people in the Pac-12 couldn't do. If Jamal Hill doesn't make that tackle, that's a touchdown every single time. And uh, he's in a new spot, kind of in a new space, and he was able to come through. So, um, you know, I don't want to get too much into the, our standout performances. But, yeah, I think I think things look really good. I think maybe we could touch on this together as like a offensive and defensive type of point. I was looking at the stats, and Oregon only rushed for a combined 130, 131 yards by both teams. And I think you see that stat and you're like, really? Like Oregon's, you know, this prolific running team, uh, fast, you know, fast paced, explosive offenses. And they only ran for that much. But then you kind of also think, okay, the offensive line, then they're like eventual starters were kind of sprinkled throughout both teams. And Oregon's defensive line isn't exactly a weak spot. Oregon's defensive line is stacked. So I thought that was like kind of interesting to see, but it wasn't something that concerned me. Yeah, I think the O-line had more non-starters or non-regular rotation players playing than the defensive lines because the depth on the defensive line, I'm with you from an experience and talent standpoint, I think is greater than the offensive line, especially when you're talking about experience. So if you talk about guys who can go four across, by the way, I think a, a guy who won't get a lot of you know plaudits here um, but I, I thought it looked pretty solid. I believe yellow team number 32 was Amari and Winston. Yeah. Yep. I thought he looked pretty darn solid out there. I, he was, it wasn't a game wreck or anything, but he was out there pretty often. I thought he was more, more than holding his own. But, you know, you, you're talking about having five or six offensive line starters or, or guys who you expect to be regular contributors that are starting caliber players. But on the defensive line, you're talking about, what are we at, seven? seven seven maybe eight i think that certainly contributed to you know the defensive line seeing that seeming to have more of an impact in in the spring game than than the offensive line did because you've got jordan birch you've got mateo you got brandon dorless you've got casey rogers i thought amarian winston looked pretty good you've got keon Ware hudson you've got popo you got Taki Taimani. Like that—that's eight guys. I'll, I'll take out Winston because he doesn't have the experience. That's seven guys who have played a lot of college football and are either starting caliber or regular rotation players. And I think that 
you know, they kind of flexed their muscle in that sense and, you know, did very well against the offensive line, which I didn't think was bad, by the way. I thought they held up well in pass protection, uh, allowed a few pressures, but that's what I would like to see from the defensive line in, in, in that sense. And I'm not concerned about the offensive line. You know, one of my big offensive standouts as well is Josh Connerly. I don't, I don't think – I can't remember a play where he allowed a pressure or – got beat. I don't have the PFF grade, you know, in front of me here. I don't think they do that sort of thing for spring games, but from what I saw and having gone back and, you know, watch the highlights, I don't even know how many times at, at this point, Connerly looks really good. And I think that's your starting left tackle. And I think he, I mean, I thought Mateo looked great. And when Mateo went up against Connerly, Connerly was winning that every single time uh, from, from what I saw. So, I, I was really, really impressed with what we saw from the defensive line. You know, guys that Mace Funa is another player. So, yeah, that is eight. That's eight players on the defensive line um, who have played extensive college football or have very, very high, a very high potential going forward there. But I, I think Connerly really, really stood out on the O-line. I think that's part of the reason the running game wasn't as strong. But I think you also had more production from your linebackers, the defensive line, than you were getting a season ago. Yeah, and to touch on Connerly a little bit in the offensive line, I think, I mean, maybe it makes sense, like, as a very commonsensical thing, but I liked how they split up the offensive linemen. You know, you, you have Josh Connerly with Bo Nix as his left tackle. You have Jackson Powers Johnson as Bo Nix's center. I don't think those moves were accidents, by the way. No, yeah, that, that that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you hey, let's trot this combo out there and see how it works. I mean, if JPJ wasn't the center, I don't really know what would have happened seeing that Marcus Harper the second is uh, is you know out out for a bit. And so was um, Junior Angola, who's played some center in his career. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he was able to give it a go after uh Lanning was kind of more or less hinting at him being a game time decision. But um yeah, let, let's get into to some of our top performers because I feel like we're kind of both just getting excited to, to do that and we want to maybe try to get to some of these comments. But let's yeah, so let's let's talk about Connerly a little bit, but I also want to talk about Mateo Uyangalele because I feel like there's one rep, maybe, I, I mean, I can try to go find it you know, later, but I feel like one of the things that stood out to me was there was one rep. I mean, those guys were going at it like the entire game. Like those were quality reps, just physical, mm-hmm. physical dudes. And I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was one play where Mateo did win and get a pressure that the sacks, did, you know, don't really happen in spring games. Cause you know, they can't figure out like how long to let the thing play out and you don't want your quarterbacks taking hits. But there was a rep where I feel like I remember Mateo like strong arming Connerly with one arm and not like just completely handling him, but like, you know, significantly knocking him back. And I'm like, that is just super exciting because you want to see that from one of the headliners in your class, you know, a guy that you stole out of USC's backyard from USC. And he's not going against some scrub scout team guy. That's the number one offensive tackle from his class. So I don't want to make too much of a spring game, much less one single rep, but maybe I'm just fired up because I covered that guy a lot in person. I covered him at Odson Stadium when St. John Bosco played there, which was really unique. But um, yeah, I think he was definitely one of my standouts. Um, what do you what do you want to get into? He took some snaps at tight end as well, but I think that was more a spring game thing. You know, Casey Kelly, the Ole Miss transfer, who I'll talk about on my show tomorrow was uh was not there terrence ferguson of course not there so he just kind of had to out of necessity but i i was really impressed i thought his get off was good he was in the backfield a couple times he looks instinctual he looks twitchy he looks big enough to play right away you know uh there's never going to be in all likelihood a defensive lineman at the edge spot as good 
as Kayvon Thibodeau that Oregon can get. But when I look at Mateo, I see a lot of the same things there, which is what his you know, profile was coming out of high school, right? You know, Thibodeau was the number one overall player in the 2019 class. Mateo's a top 50 guy in, in the 2023 cycle, which is not half bad. And I think we saw that on display. You know, when he made an impact play, it looked really impressive. And he, he just kind of has that quality about him where he gets to the play a little bit quicker than – than other guys and he he is physically ready you know he's what six three or so, or so six, five. 20, yeah six five 265 pounds like he's a big big dude ready to contribute at a position that Oregon needs him to and I think between him and Jordan Birch you have just upgraded the production and depth you can get from that edge position while still having Mace Funa out there I mean just dramatically from a year ago like DJ Johnson was good in spurts last season so you know these guys have to show they can do it consistently but i i think that when dj johnson who's a third round pick by the way i was shocked by that i, I was no was gonna go before him I, I i i did too i did not think dj johnson would get taken before the fifth round i mean good for him and i hope he has a good career he's got the the nfl body size and whatnot but if mateo and jordan birch can give you more than oregon got from the edge spots last year that's a big Big thing for the defense, and I loved, loved what I saw from Mateo, both against the run and the pass, by the way, but especially when he's getting after the quarterback, pinning his ears back, standing up, hand in the ground, whatever. He he, he looked really, really impressive to me. Yeah, love what we saw from Mateo, and all the edge rushers aren't even at Oregon yet. Uh, Blake Purchase isn't in, in Eugene yet, and he's a guy I am so excited about. I mean, like those guys that are already he there. might have a tough time cracking the rotation at this point. It may, yeah, maybe. Or maybe he hops in there and he's like, oh, sorry, I'm late. Here I am. Uh, let me show you how it's done. It, it, it could happen too. I mean, I think that Oregon attacked the defensive line so aggressively that they're just obviously increasing their hit rate. And the fact that so many guys are already here is only going to help them more. Um, the, the other guy that I'm super, super, super stoked about, and I, I don't know if he's getting talked about a whole lot, but I'm super stoked about him, is Cole Martin. The, the true oh, freshman dude. corner, that dude was firing me up. I mean, he probably had less than like five plays that like really stood out, but he had a, a you know a couple pass breakups. I want to say he was, has as uh, many impact plays from a defensive back as anybody else. Yeah, no, he's he's that. He, I mean, I'm not gonna say he's that guy. That that's that, I catch myself a little bit, <laughs> but I was I was fired up because you know I got I got to meet him in San Antonio at the All American Bowl. He was hurt, so um you know when I was talking to him, he was saying that you know I'll be back in time for spring ball. And hey. There he is. Um, you yeah. know, the, the guy was listed on most recruiting services at a, as a uh, at five ten, I want to say. But that, I mean, this is no shot, no shot against him. But he is short, like he is not that big. Probably closer to five nine. But the dude plays like he shot out of a cannon. He is fast. And I, and I think that it's it's worth mentioning he doesn't fit Dan Lanning's you know typical corners in his system. You know, looking at Keely Ringo long fast physical dudes like that but the guy is twitchy man he's twitchy he's quick he's explosive he's physical i mean that's how he hurt himself he messed up his shoulder in the state title game you know messing somebody up um but i really liked what i saw from him man and, and we've talked about how that corner room is um not wide open but you know they're looking for some answers now that christian gonzalez isn't there and, um, you know, just because we're in that conversation, I really liked what I saw from Dante Manning and Kyrie Jackson had a couple of good plays in there. But 
come fall, I mean, Cole Martin kind of just seems like a guy that uh, is is going to stay around and stick in the picture, and, and maybe he's going to be too hard to keep off the field. Yeah, I, I, I was really, really impressed with him. He stood out right away. I, I look at him, and I I see a faster Thomas Graham. That's that that that's what I see from him. Now, you make a good point about Lanning having a tendency to lean towards the bigger corners, you know, Trike West Bridges, Dante Manning, Kyrie Jackson, those sorts of guys. But that that was as impressive of a day one, you know, spring game performance you could have as a true freshman corner as you could possibly have. I mean, Chris Hudson is entering his third year of college football. He has been productive for three seasons with the Ducks at the Power Five level, obviously. And Cole Martin went out there day one, and he was matching up with him like like it was nothing, right? And I'm high on Chris Hudson. I I, I like Chris Hudson, and I like Tez Johnson too. But Cole Martin was out there just staying with him. His instincts, he's a coach's kid, of course, so you figure his football IQ is pretty darn high. It looks that way. His, his athleticism, explosiveness, I think he's got potential in the return game, like – I don't see how you keep him off of special teams this year. Like, like, like as a, as a true freshman, I, I am hard pressed to see how that does not happen. Like we talked about that potential with Roderick Pleasant, but who's not even there yet. Don't yeah. Who, yeah. That. Who's not, who's not there yet, but this Durant's is kind of there yet. Yeah. Yeah. But this is who, who, who we kind of thought Roderick Pleasant, Pleasant would be looking like, right. A little bit smaller, but really, really fast and explosive like that. That's Cole Martin. So I, um, I, I, w- I was a big, I was a big, big fan of, of Cole Martin. The other guy who, who John is correctly pointing out, uh, as, as a standout on defense, I don't know where he fits on the depth chart, but, uh, Betchel or whatever, or bet Betcher, I think, oh, I think is Bryce, his name. Bryce, um, yeah, Bryce Betcher. I, I feel like that's not it. Let me look it up. Is it Brian uh, Betcher or, or no, Bryce the, Betcher? He the was guy wearing number, the... he was wearing number 46 on the yellow team. Okay, here we go. Hold on. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, it is Bryce Betcher. Yeah, Bryce Betcher. Okay, he was everywhere, man. He was making some plays, dude. He looked, he looked explosive. He was making tackles in space. He was breaking up passes. Did not expect to see that at all, but he he was really really impressive to me. And look, there might be too many safeties in the room for him to see playing time because I liked what I saw from uh, Tyshin Johnson's hit on. I think it was Bucky, Bucky coming out of the backfield, just diagnosed the play, drove on the ball, laid the lumber, and looked explosive doing it. I, I loved what I saw there. You know, going back to what we discussed earlier, overall team speed up from last year. That was a big takeaway defensively from you know what we saw. Is yeah, there you go, Bryce Betcher. He he he, he looked good. I again. I, I feel like he's way down in the rotation. I hadn't talked about him at all. I didn't, I, I honestly, I hadn't even really heard of him and I covered the ducks every day, but then he was out there making so many plays. I just went, that guy looks like a football player. He looks like a good football player. And then he went and played baseball for the ducks later. And they took two or three from Arizona state who were ranked in the top 15 at uh, the time. Shout out ducks baseball. So yeah, I, I, I liked, I liked that element. Uh, Cause there were times last year, Washington, of course, where Oregon's secondary and defense looks looks slow. They they looked like they were too slow, and they did not look too slow on Saturday. Yeah, and and that's that's what I think. You know, that kind of goes into that point I was making about the you know crispness. Seems like guys are moving better. 
uh, not being caught out of position, not as much arm tackling. Like we said, that was obviously really good. Um, there's one more guy I want to talk about. And actually, I feel like I've already talked about two of my standouts. So I want to throw it over to you. So I'm not dominating the, the conversation. Uh, Any other standout I, I, guys I mean, you want to talk about? I, 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 I could go down. I could go down the list here. Um, I really did think Troy Franklin was number one on offense. I mean, to me, Max, he looked bigger. He looked just as fast, just as fluid. Did you see the move he put on Kyrie Jackson on that I, third down conversion early in the game? He he was moving around for sure. I don't know that move Dude, specifically, but he 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 had just like a six yard curl on third and nine. He turned it into like an 11, 12 yard gain. Kyrie Jackson, a guy who Nick Saban once looked at and said, I want you to come play football for the University of Alabama. Troy Franklin went out there, and I thought Treshawn Holden, speaking of Alabama, looked good as well. But Troy Franklin went out there and put the moves on him and left him in the dust to pick up the first down. And then he caught the touchdown later. And I just look at him. He looks like he filled out his frame a little bit more, right? He and Dante Thornton were, quote, unquote, the skinnies. He doesn't look like the skinny anymore. He looks like the athlete. He looks like him at wide receiver, as as they say. And I, I was I was thoroughly impressed. And look, I, I expect Troy Franklin to have a great season. I have for a long time, but it's almost like my my expectations for him have now gone up because I w- I was just so impressed. He just looks the part in so many ways. We got to enjoy him this year because I think he's off to the NFL after twenty twenty three. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no. I mean, he he and I think he's going to enter the 2023 season as a legitimate Bolitnikov candidate. Um, you know, he has that kind of yeah. hype. He has the the production, I think, to back it up. And um, you know, Will Stein's talking about getting your best players the ball. Uh, so don't that's expect it, that's to, that's your best offensive player outside of quarterback. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I don't know. I I feel like I'd have that'd be an interesting discussion with Bucky. Um, because he can impact I the game in would both ways. Go with Troy. I think first of all, Bucky's tremendous. Love that he's there. He and Whittington, such a great one-two punch. Uh, Dante Dowdell was a standout as well. Holy power! Holy power, Batman! Um, but I would say that Franklin is more explosive than Bucky Irving. I think Irving is a, a very elusive, talented back. But if you're talking about who's more likely to catch the ball in space and go for a big play. I think your answer is Troy Franklin there. Yeah. I, I think that the thing that I was excited about with Troy was how he looked like he was a little bit more bulked up physically. And because he like the way he played his game last year, I feel like there were a couple of moments where he kind of just threw his body around and I'm like, Hey, you're, you're not that built up. Like, you know, chill out for a sec. You know, you're the team's number one wide receiver. We don't need to get down. hurt. Um, but yeah, like just like his celebration after the touchdown grab, like I saw him around all the guys and he was just, you know, oh, and I was like, dang, this guy is like, he, he's, he's fired up, man. And his, and his body's getting there. And then to that point, I thought Treshawn Holden looked really good. Uh, while I was watching the games, I was like, wow, uh, Bo is really feeding Troy the ball. Um, let's, let's see some targets for, for Treshawn. And, um, he, he moves really well for his size. You know, he's not just, uh, a huge built dude that that doesn't have the finesse or the the agility that you need to play the game at a high level. And I think he's definitely going to be, uh, you know, a, an impact player for Oregon in, in 2023. I think someone was commenting that, uh, that uh, Treshawn is going to be a problem early. Yeah. I got Eric's comment here. So I, th- I think that that, that seems looking and, real and, good. and by the way, I like that point because Bo seems to trust him. How many times did we see him trying to get the ball to Holden 
when Holden wasn't necessarily open or wasn't the best option on the play, like when he missed Kenyon Sadiq in the flat, I, I think that Holden is a guy who Bo Nix has, has already built a rapport with and is going to look to in, in key situations this year. But you want to get some mailbag questions? Yeah, yeah, we can we can get one before you get out of here. Let me I was starting to start to star a couple of them. Um, let me see what I got here. Let's see. Okay, this one's from Tanya. Question is after watching the spring game, both Tez Hudson and Franklin look like beasts and super fast. Who do you think would have more explosion plays for 20 Ooh. plus yards between them for next season? Oh. Tez Hudson uh i i feel like just just based on overall ability and like skill i want to say troy i feel like the conversations maybe more between tez and chris and i feel like i'd lean tez just because he seems to have more of that next year but that's a tough one man i don't know i think think it's pretty close that is a great question i i'm going to go with troy franklin because I, I don't I, I have stayed on this train and I have no reason at this point in time to indicate otherwise. I think Tez and Chris Hudson are gonna be kind of a split. I think their playing time is going to be very even because like yeah, Tez Johnson's got a little bit more breakaway speed, but Hudson is a much more physical football player and Tez is more finesse, and I don't think you can underrate that, especially in the running game. And it's not as if Chris Hudson didn't catch balls ranging from the line of scrimmage to 50 yards down the field last year. He did. He he set up a touchdown against Arizona. He had a big one against Washington State. He did drop one against Cal, but came back, had a great game against Cal. Like We've seen Chris Hudson make a lot of plays, and I think that their playing time being divided, whereas Franklin is your clear number one, makes him the correct response there. But I, I think all three of those guys being – integral parts of the receiving core in 2023 shape up for Oregon's weapons being more than sufficient for Bonex. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah, and that, that's a good way to look at it. You know, it's not like one guy necessarily has to edge out the other. Maybe they just play off of each other, which I think, you know, someone said in the in the chat, you know, just um, someone was asking, you know, odds of Tez and Chris both staying, but then someone said, you know, they're, they're compliments to each other. It's not necessarily uh, one or the other. So I think that that Oregon's wide receiver room is, is looking really good. We didn't really even see too much of Ashton Cozart, but he was out there. Jurion Dickey's not even here yet. Um, Oregon could still get Gary Bryant Jr. in a couple weeks. Uh, the USC wide receiver transfer. Who knows if they go after uh, Zachary Franklin, UTSA's leading wide receiver who just hit the portal. Uh, you know, had uh, over a thousand yards in back-to-back seasons. Maybe Will Stein wants to get involved there. He's from the state of Texas originally, so I don't know. There's there's a lot of directions this could go, and um, it's just interesting to see how much wi- Oregon's wide receiver room could change in one offseason and. Maybe it's even better than last year, but I don't know. I, I think I'd be curious to pick your brain about how Trajan Holden and Chase Coda could maybe compare because it seems like they might take on similar roles with, with Troy Franklin being that returning number one guy. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, he's a very logical choice to do that. A guy who's played in the national championship game, you know, was a, a decently productive player at Alabama. And I think we saw the physical upside. I mean, he he also looks explosive. He's a big bodied wide receiver like I, I don't know that there's uh correct me if i'm wrong max uh, that much of a size difference between Treshawn holden and Kenyon sadiq yeah no i don't I, think so. yeah, i don't i like don't i don't think it's massive let me let, let me look that up real quick because they're not going to have updated weights on the oregon roster no but, but like Kenyon Kenyon coming out of high school 620 yeah 63220 and Treshawn probably on espn they probably have the He's looked at 6'3", 195 is his uh, listed weight on 24-7. Um, okay. But that might have been coming out of high school. You had Treshawn Holden right. listed as what? 6'3", 214 on ESPN yeah. from last year. But that sounds about right. Like, I, I think those guys are pretty similar body types in that sense. And, you know, I, I, I like it because I think Holden is an, a twitchy and explosive enough athlete, has the agility to – catch screen passes and turn them into big gains the way Chase Coda did last year, but also a guy who's going to be able to take contact, go down the field, be physical running after the catch and, and just be a productive receiver overall. And definitely needs to be a sure handed guy like Chase Coda was. I never worried about Chase Coda dropping a football. Yeah. Which is why he carved out that role as a, you know, chain mover on third downs, like so consistently got picked um, up as an undrafted free agent, by the way. Yeah, was it the the Lions? I want to say. I think so. We can do a quick Google search again. Yep, going to uh, the 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 Detroit Lions. At least getting a chance there, uh, which which is awesome because he's coming from North Medford High School or South Medford, one of the two. I just thought about this now. Um, I'm pretty sure he's still there, but isn't Brady Breeze on the Lions? Aren't they? He like fam- aren't was. They family? I know. I know that he now? was. I think he was even playing some. If, if I remember correctly, he's still listed as being a member of the Detroit Lions uh, right now, which, again, local year. kid from Oregon. Like, that doesn't happen very often, you know? Brady Breeze went to Central Catholic. Uh, Chase Coder from the Medford area. Like, it, it is pretty rare for a kid from the state of Oregon to make it to the NFL, <clears throat> Justin Herbert. But it has been known to happen from, from time to time. And I, I always think that it's extra cool when, when that stuff does happen. Absolutely, man. Well, um, how are, how are you doing on time? You know, I got a piece. Unfortunately, got. I got some uh, I got some work that I got to that I got to get done. OK, no, I'm going to so I'm going to keep going for a little bit. But um, where can people find you want to give you a chance to, to plug your work 
Yeah, as always, Smalls underscore 55 on Twitter. I host Locked On Ducks and Locked On Pac-12, which are the shows that I need to go record. Uh, they are Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can shoot me a message anytime. Max, always good to be on with you, my man. I feel like we got more to talk about, so we might have to hop over to my show later in the week and, and continue said conversation. Oh, yeah. No, we we definitely got more to talk about. So you just say the word and I'm there. But uh, appreciate you coming on, man. Yep. And uh, everyone, make sure you guys go tap in with Spencer. Yep. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you. Go Ducks. All right. So we're continuing on with the show. Uh, Big thank you to Spencer for coming on today's show. Go check him out on YouTube, Locked on Ducks and Locked on Pac-12. He does an awesome job over there. And he's kind enough to bring me on his channel on his show and let me do my thing over there. Um, so we got a couple more, we got some more comments that, uh, I got starred to, to get into. Um, let's see. Yeah. We already talked about Eric's comment with Holden being a problem immediately. Um, let's see. John has a comment here. When Oregon put reserves in late in the games, our stats went down too, reflecting the lack of depth, which is an interesting point to look into because there were a couple games last year where Oregon did feel like they let up a little bit in garbage time. And then, and then some teams got some points on the board. I'm thinking about that Cal game in particular as one that comes to mind because I was at that game. So it's a legitimate point just to kind of look at and examine Oregon's depth. But I think that seeing what we saw from the defense in the spring game is a reason to be optimistic that you have more guys that are going to be capable of stepping up and, and giving you quality snaps in, uh, in, in games when, when you need them. I think one group that's going to be interesting to look at now that uh, now that we're through spring is a linebacker just to see kind of where that depth shakes out. I think Oregon's probably tighter on numbers than they'd like to be uh, in that four, two, five defense. But at the same time, you know, if you have guys like Justin Jacobs, Jeffrey Bossa, uh, Connor Soley, Jamal Hill, Devin Jackson, I think you're feeling pretty confident about where those guys are at. Um, I think Devin Jackson is kind of the, the, the most unknown right now. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that in the way that he hasn't, he hasn't played very much college football. So you just don't totally know what you have there. You know, you have a guy that had a lot of, a lot of hype coming out of high school, really, really fast guy, all American linebacker out of the the state of Nebraska. Um, But he looked good in the, in the snaps that he got on, uh, on Saturday in that spring game. So I think that overall Oregon's depth, they, they said that they had more depth kind of on, on defense, I think, uh, in spring than the offensive side of the ball. Um, so now you have a little bit of wiggle room now that you're underneath the the scholarship count, the scholarship limit to maybe go out and add a couple of guys in the transfer portal. Um, you know, maybe you add another linebacker. I feel like you're feeling pretty good overall about your defensive depth. Um, you know, pretty solid guys, obviously, all across the defensive line. You, you, I think you need you want to build out your two deep a little bit more uh, at the edge rushers and in the outside linebacker spot. But I think you have the guys on the roster or at least coming in where you feel like you can be, have a pretty solid two deep uh, by the time the, the season comes around. I think that corner is definitely, the I would say, is kind of the most open right now. Um, even though you have Dante Manning and Triquez Bridges back, I think they both looked good. I think Dante Manning looked great. Uh, Cole Martin, who I talked about, I was really excited about him. Um, and I'm still excited to see what's in store for him. And then you don't have Roger Pleasant on campus yet. You don't have Dalen Austin on campus yet. Two All-American cornerbacks that the Ducks signed in the 2023 recruiting class, but you got Cole Martin on campus. You also don't have Colin Gill out of Washington, D.C. He's not there yet, Um, but you're seeing more guys 
that are getting reps. And I think they're just looking like if, if you're able to put yourself in the right position, I think that says a lot about where you're at. Maybe you're not making jaw dropping plays, but if you're just doing what you're supposed to, especially as a defensive back, especially as a cornerback, if you're not getting the ball thrown your way a lot, then that's generally a good thing, right? Cause it means you're executing your assignment while you're playing good coverage. You're not lapsing. So I think that that's a really good, good indication for Oregon. And we kind of saw that on both sides of the ball. I think there were, there were a couple of plays that I saw from Solomon Davis is a true freshman early enrollee uh, at a Covina charter Oak. So I was encouraged by that. And I think that the, the depth is going to come uh, on the offensive side of the ball and, you know, adding Casey Kelly from Ole Miss, that was definitely a transfer that was much needed. And that I think is going to definitely contribute next year. Um, but he definitely seems like more of a, of a blocking tight end. If you're just looking at the numbers and kind of what they were able to do uh, with him on the field uh, out over at Ole Miss. So I think that the depth is really coming along on defense, which is why I was excited when I was talking to Spencer about like, this is kind of what I think people were expecting a little bit more of when Dan Lanning got hired from a defensive standpoint. Um, but at the same time, it's just a spring game. It's just, you know, an inner squad scrimmage. So you can't take too much from a spring game, but I think there's still some areas where you can definitely, get excited about um let's see we got another comment here uh that i'm excited about it says this freshman class will go down as the deepest and most physically ready class ever signed to oregon it's only spring but dan Lanning and the staff did an amazing job recruiting in year two and i think this is a this is an interesting comment because it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty bold statement, right? For for this to be the deepest and most physically ready class that Oregon ever signed, and it's only Dan Lanning's second year. It's it's interesting because it's only a second year, and you think about comments like that, and you think back to Oregon's 2021 recruiting class, which was the number one class in program history, the highest rated class the Ducks had ever signed, and now there's like five or six guys from that um from that class that are still on the roster. So I think that was a little bit of anomaly, a little bit of an outlier because that was the first class coming off of the pandemic. You know, a lot of stuff was shut down. It was hard to get a really good, true, confident eval uh, on a guy. So that's why to a degree, I'm not super surprised that, um, that a lot of those guys have transferred. And then also it's just the, the grace period I feel like is, is, is shrinking in terms of, the amount of time that college coaches are going to be willing to wait for guys to, you know, live up to the potential, you know, it's, Hey, we recruited you as a really good player, but you've been here for a year and we're not really seeing it. So we're kind of seeing some of that. I'm not saying that those were the conversations that were had, but they, they probably were, you know, they're having that kind of conversation at all programs uh, across the country. But for Dan Lanning to have this group, you know, already kind of, humming the way that it is, I think is, is really encouraging. Um, you know, I think they, I think they finished inside the top 10, I want to say. Um, I got to look back. I feel like I should know that off the top of my head, but 247 Sports has them with the um, number. Okay, no, never mind. I got to pump the brakes. The number 16 overall class, but the number 13 ranked composite class. So I think that's probably combining the transfer portal. So it's a little hard to, to look at, but top, top 15, top top 10 top 15 but the 2023 class this was all Dan Lanning's guys this was his first full cycle first full cycle with Tosh Lapoy first full cycle with Junior Adams first full cycle with Demetrius Martin and um this 2023 class looks like they're going to they're going to be making a statement and I've said it before like Oregon needs to be getting more guys 
recruiting more guys into the program that are going to see the field early and often. And they got to be seeing the field, not out of necessity, but because that they're pushing other guys for snaps. You know, I could go through the list here of guys that look like they're going to be playing as freshmen. You know, you got Mateo, um, you know, Dante Dowdell looked awesome, even though he only had like four or five, six carries in that game, but he actually led the spring game in rushing yards. And I think just the way he attacks the whole, the physicality that he plays with, uh, the way that he moves, I think that, and the way that it's just hard to bring him down, Dante Dowdell and Bucky Irving have one thing in common. That's for sure. It's really hard, if not impossible to bring them down with just one guy. Um, so that's a guy that looks like he could, could maybe even be pushing Jordan James for that number three spot um, in, in Carlos Lachlan's running back room. Then you got Johnny Bowens. I've been hearing a lot of good things about him. A lot of, you know, general excitement about him. Um, see how he comes around. You know, he was listed at 6'3", 265, coming out of uh, Judson High School in Converse, Texas. Um, let's see who else we got here in, in this class. You know, Michael Gardner, he was getting he was getting a, a bunch of praise from Casey Rogers last year. Tatum Tuioti looks like he he's definitely an under-the-radar sleeper kind of a signee. And then you have so many guys that aren't even at Oregon yet. Jurion Dickey, Roderick Pleasant, Dalen Austin, Ashton Porter, also out of the state of Texas. Amari Washington, Terrence Green, Blake Purchase. There's so many guys that aren't even on campus yet, and you already have all of your transfers on campus. So I think you're looking really, really solid. So I think that the the early return on Dan Landing's first full recruiting cycle at Oregon is, has been overwhelmingly positive. And I think the closer that we get to fall camp, the closer that we get to that season opener against Portland State, I think we could really see, um, you know, what they're capable of doing and, and how many guys are going to be able to, you know, see the field early. And I think that's something to be excited about for sure. Uh, it's no, it's no, you know, shot at the guys that are already there, but that's your job as a head coach is, and I think Nick Saban's basically said that, or some other co great college coach has said that my job is to, is re to recruit guys to take your job. Um, so that's what you ultimately want. You want that competitive spirit. You want guys that are going to come in hungry for snaps, hungry to take jobs. And I think that's ultimately what Dan Lanning's doing. Um, we're seeing more of his recruits coming in um, because, you know, let's be honest, he didn't recruit a lot of these 2022 guys necessarily. Um, so that's part of the reason that it's not necessarily a surprise to, to see some of them enter the transfer portal um, because they, they, they committed to, you know, Mario Cristobal when he was still there, but, you know, you got to do the best that you can with the hand that you're dealt. That's just the reality of, of where things are at in today's game. So really like this comment. Um, we'll see. We'll have to check back in at the end of the year if this freshman class is going to go down as the deepest and most physically ready class that has ever been signed to Oregon. But, man, the, the early return looks really good from, from guys like Cole Martin and, and Mateo Uyunglele for sure in this uh, in this spring game. Let's see what else we got here. Mikey G, my guy, depth on the O-line is not ideal. And I think I'd be saying that even if we weren't coming off one of the best groups we've ever had. Yeah, I think I think it's it's hard to say it's hard to say what kind of depth Oregon has on the offensive line right now because we just don't know what that group looks like. You know, Junior Angelau didn't play in the spring game. I think he's probably one of your projected starters. Marcus Harper's banged up, so it's hard to see what this unit is, is ultimately going to look like. And you had guys that were, were swapped on on other sides of the ball, right? They were split up. But you had Jackson Powers Johnson and Josh Connerly on the same team working with Bo as, as two of his most important offensive linemen. Uh, Steven Jones was back from injury. So 
I think that on paper, Oregon's offensive line is a group that I'm growing more confident in as the season goes on. And maybe they even add another guy. I think I saw someone, maybe it was Eric saying that uh, in the chat here that uh, maybe he, he wants another center to come in. Um, but uh, yeah, Johnny Cornelius was a, was another guy that, that uh, you know, got added out of the transfer portal and he was one of the most sought after tackles that was available. And we had schools like Nebraska and Ohio state, Tennessee, I think was also another school that was going after a Johnny. So I think Oregon's pretty fortunate to find themselves in the spot that they are in, uh, especially given the, the talent that June, that uh, Adrian Clem, excuse me, added before leaving to, to go to the Patriots. So it's uh it's, it's not an ideal situation. I think I would agree on that, but at the same time, it's not like, you're trotting a bunch of guys out there that have never started a game. I know you're not in that spot where you're having to start a lot of young guys. You're, you're getting a new group in you're kind of trying out some new stuff, but Jackson powers. Johnson's played for you before. Steven Jones has played for you before. Once he gets back, Marcus Harper has played for you before. And then some of these other pieces that you're adding into the mix, Johnny Cornelius, junior Angelow, they've played college football at other places. So they're not new to the game. And, and I really loved what I heard from a Johnny Cornelius during his, his first Oregon media availability just sounds like he has a really good head on his shoulders. Definitely strikes me as a, as a, as a leadership kind of a guy as a leader. And then you have a leak Terry that is talking about Josh Connerly jr. You know, being the hardest worker in that room and just having, and just having, you know, some of the best footwork of that group. So I think I would agree with this comment, Mikey G, that the the depth necessarily isn't ideal along the O-line, but I think that you have some really good pieces there that are going to lead to you feeling a lot more confident about that O-line situation uh, come next year. And this is also a spot maybe where you're happy and you're fortunate that you have backs like uh, Bucky Irving, backs like Noah Whittington, guys that are not easy to bring down on first contact and that can do a bunch of different things. They can hurt you in a bunch of different ways. And then you have one of the most mobile quarterbacks in the entire country in Bo Nix, who I think really took a step forward in his game last year by just finding that sweet spot, knowing when to improvise, knowing when to take off, and knowing when to stay in the pocket and take a hit for a guy who uh, you know, maybe has um, you know, beaten his defender and is streaking open down the field. You know, I gotta stay in the in the pocket and take this hit because I know my guy's gonna get the ball. So this is an interesting comment. Definitely, uh, definitely excited to see what's gonna happen. Uh, with the offensive line this year. Um, let's see. Got a comment here. I'd pass on Gary Bryant if we can get Zach Franklin. Yeah, in case you guys don't know who I'm talking about with uh, Zachary Franklin, the UTSA wide receiver transfer. I mean, this was a guy for Will Stein at, uh, at San Antonio at UTSA. Um, you know, just got him up on the screen right now. 6'1", 185 pounds, originally out of Cedar Hill High School in, in Texas, was a first-team all-conference USA selection at wide receiver in 2021. But but look at some of the stats. Look at some of the numbers that Zachary Franklin was able to put up. Um, you know, just got better every single year that he was at UTSA. Uh, nine games as a freshman, then 10 games, 13 games, 14 games, 94 catches for one guy in 2022. That is uh, That's pretty crazy. Um, I think that his production speaks for itself. You know, anytime you can get a receiver that's in the transfer portal, that's had over a thousand yards and someone who has familiarity with Will Stein, I think that's going to be a plus. And it's not, I'm not saying that it's an automatic thing by any means. I need to do a little bit of digging to see what kind of, um, 
to see what kind of, um, you know, what kind of buzz there is around Zachary Franklin and if he's going to be a guy for Oregon. But I had to make sure I wrote up a story on him on, on Ducks Digest and and talked about him here on the podcast because the, the numbers don't lie. I mean, he's averaging 12.1 yards per catch last year, 81.1 yards a game. That's a guy that that you can feed the ball to consistently. And I think one of the things that I've just really been getting excited about with Will Stein's offense is just having so many weapons that can just beat you in a bunch of different ways. I feel like Oregon's had a bunch of guys kind of the, not last year, but maybe in 2021. And this was also due to the passing offense, not being that effective, but they kind of just had a, a, some really mid-level guys that weren't bad, but we're seeing Oregon's direction just to have dudes. You know, you had your Johnny Johnson's who was an awesome guy, great blocker, played with a bunch of heart, <clears throat> Jalen red, Devin Williams, you know, guys like that, but no guy was really, you know, setting themselves apart and just being just dominant every single game. Devin Williams kind of started to do that, right? His last year with the Ducks, he was the only person on the team, the only wide out, wide out on the team to have multiple 100-yard games. But just look at the caliber of guys that Oregon's having at the wide receiver position now. Um, I think that, you know, Spencer and I were talking about it. You, you got you got Tez Johnson, you got Trayshawn Holden as your new additions, and then you got Troy Franklin, who's probably one of the best wideouts in the Pac-12. You know, I'd be curious to see what that discussion looks like. You know, how he maybe stacks up with uh, with Mario Williams at USC. He's definitely one of the best wideouts in the Pac-12. Um, you know, got some some good weapons over there for sure, uh, playing for Lincoln Riley, but. I just think that there's so many good weapons on this in this wide receiver room for Junior Adams with, with Jurion Dickey uh, not even here yet. He projects to, to be a guy. And maybe Oregon's wide receiver room gets overcrowded, but that could be a good thing, just having a really, really good depth in case one of these guys goes down. Um, and it's interesting that we're having this conversation because there were so many guys that transferred that were wideouts from the end of the 2022 season to now. You had Dante Thornton. I think that's going to be – I think Dante Thornton's going to be – the, the toughest transfer for Oregon to stomach this past offseason because he had some really good games down the stretch, Washington, Utah, uh, for sure. But you had Dante Thornton, Seven McGee, Isaiah Brevard, Isaiah Crocker, um, all those guys that that play wide receiver that hit the portal, but but just the the level of depth at at wide receiver is is really, really encouraging. Kyler Casper he had a couple of good moments in the spring game. We can't forget about him. You know, six foot six, 200 pounds. There's not a lot of wide receivers, certainly in the Pac 12, that have his skill set and his physical frame. So um, I also thought Justice Lowe looked really good in the spring game. He had a couple moments where he was popping. Um, so I'd be interesting to see where this ends up. I don't know if it's a situation where they have to choose between Gary Bryant and, and Zach Franklin, but Zach Franklin's definitely been more productive than Gary Bryant. Um, and we know that Oregon has two guys from UTSA and Will Stein and Antonio Parks that were, uh, you know, on that staff uh, at UTSA. So now they're in Eugene and maybe they're going to make a run at him and he's going to be able to, you know, make a make a difference for this team. So Gary Bryant, as of right now, is supposed to announce his commitment on May 13th. Um, and I don't even know if, if uh, Oregon's involved with Zach Franklin, but you look at the connections, you kind of read between the between the lines and you can kind of read the tea leaves and it would make a whole lot of sense if Oregon were to go after uh, Zachary Franklin here, now that he just entered the portal over the weekend. 
All right, let's see. Eric said, just a plug for the Mental Sweat podcast. It's Ryan Walk bringing on college football players and chatting. Has had Shuck, Bo, et cetera, just started watching. Yeah, I definitely want to check that one out. I'm trying to get an Oregon coach or two on this podcast uh, sooner rather than later now that spring football is over. But the Duck coaches are going to be hitting the road, and they're going to be plenty busy, so we will have to see. But, um, yeah, I think that'll do it for this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Was really excited to get on for the second time today. If you haven't already checked it out, go look, uh, go listen, go watch my last episode of the podcast where I break down Casey Kelly, the Ole Miss transfer tight end that committed to Oregon over the weekend. Also had one from yesterday on Sunday where I talked about Luke Moga, the 2024 Phoenix, Arizona Sunny Slope quarterback. That committed to Oregon. Ducks look like they're still pursuing two quarterbacks in this class. They want a two-quarterback class, rather, with Michael Van Buren out of St. Francis Academy in Baltimore in campus, uh, on campus, rather, in Eugene uh, over the weekend for the Elite 11 and for the uh, spring game. So the Ducks are looking like the favorites there, at least right now. But case in point, lots of podcasts. You guys know I'm here for all the Duck football talk, all the Oregon recruiting talk. Uh, If something's happening, I'm here to cover it and uh, do it to the best of my ability. And I'm waiting for that run for Oregon on the recruiting trail. You know, not not a whole lot of fireworks immediately out of that spring game, which I'm kind of thankful for because I was out of town, to be honest. But I'm back now. I'm ready for it. I feel like it's coming. And uh, it's going to be an exciting time to, to be uh, in the Oregon football community. And there's going to be plenty to talk about. So if you guys are still here, do me a favor and hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. That would be a tremendous help. Uh, with what I'm doing covering Oregon football and Oregon football recruiting. Make sure you lock in with me on all social media platforms. I'm at mTaurus Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. And you got to make sure that you're over uh, on DucksDigest.com reading my latest written coverage of the Oregon Ducks football program and the Ducks on the recruiting trail. But with all that being said, appreciate you guys taking some time out of your day to tune in and watch and talk some Ducks with me. I really butchered that towards the end. Let's try that again. With all that being said, appreciate you taking some time out of your day to talk some duck football with me and appreciate the support. Hope everybody's having a good start to the week and we will see you on the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.